May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So before I launch into my astounding sermon, uh, just to say what this is, this is a coat. And uh, as an archdeacon, I have to wear one at cathedral events. Uh, and we had a cathedral event recently uh, for the installation of the new dean. Set a new record for how long they could take services, two and a half hours. And uh, so I, Joyce has met me first, and I took that down. But you might notice when Joyce and I are standing side by side that she is a little bit shorter than me. So these things are supposed to come kind of close to the ground, and Joyce's coat came kind of close to my knees. So, uh, and Bronwyn had this one, which she borrowed off Tim and Amari and this one. And it, it more than squished it on the ground, it dragged. So she and I swapped. And at the end of the service, uh, Chris Hurawai, who was representing Tiki uh, Hawker, Don Tomahiri, uh, said at the end, you're great on that, Father John. You just keep it. And I went, oh, I couldn't possibly. And he said, no, I insist. So, uh, so I get to worry when I'm being an archdeacon. But actually, you can wear these things whenever there are kind of important things going on. And it seemed like, well, Pentecost feels kind of important, and it's red, so it matches the colour. So I thought I would wear it today. I'm actually talking to a friend in, in Wellington who is making me a coat while we're talking about it, uh, based around Moa. So we, we were going to, Bonnie was going to use Joyce's uh, coat as a, as a pattern and just make a very simple one. And we asked Trish to do a logo of Mawal, and she is designing the whole coat to be Mawal with different things on it. So uh, if it comes off, it'll be amazing. Okay, that's enough about me. Let's talk about Pentecost. So you've all been to many sermons about Pentecost, and you're about to hear another one, so don't fear. But before we get to my thoughts about Pentecost, What's important about Pentecost for you? Have a conversation with your neighbours. Why do we celebrate Pentecost? And what does it matter for today? What does it mean for today? Let's have a conversation.
community thinks about Christianity is uh, we keep drifting away from that. But uh, as Kevin uh, kind of pointed out this morning, that uh, this Christianity doesn't operate in one language. So Islam operates in Arabic, Judaism operates in Hebrew. Most religions operate in their founding language. Christianity doesn't. And in fact, if it did, it would be in Greek, not in Latin. So uh, Greek and Aramaic. And there is an affirmation in the, in the Pentecost story of all of those languages, uh, which means that the Indian Orthodox Church that meets here on Saturdays uh, uses liturgies that were originally written in Greek 1,700 years ago, um, but translated into their language from the south of India. Um, and it is an affirmation of all of that. And they both work through all of those. And it's a good thing to point out that uh, Pentecost is, you know, is still a Jewish holiday, uh, and God is still working within Judaism. So um, it is amazing how often Christian commentators talk about Pentecost was a Jewish holiday, and it's like it still is. Still is Jews all around the world around this time will be celebrating Pentecost. So uh, it's still happening. School in Jaffa, it was a big feast, a big festival, and the children used to bring the first fruits, rather like we do at Thomas Festival, and they'll be dancing and it's beautiful. Yeah. Anything else about Pentecost? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I just wanted to show what I'm wearing today. I put it on because I'm thinking of peace and the message of peace that comes today. This comes from Syria that I'm wearing today. Where there is still no peace. No. So that's, I'm afraid, in my thoughts at the moment. Thank you. So we focus on Ukraine, there is no peace in Syria, there is no peace in Yemen, there is no peace in Ethiopia. There are lots of places where there is no peace, just not in our televisions. One of the things we talk about, so if I'd chosen the readings at the end of the week rather than the beginning of the week, we would have had the Genesis 11 reading, not the Romans reading. Um, but I was going to talk about Genesis 11 at the beginning of the week. Uh, and we talk about how Pentecost fixes uh, Genesis 11, which is the story of the Tower of Babel. So you know the story. Uh, all of humanity lived in one place at Babel, uh, and they all spoke one language, and they built manu monuments to their importance, and uh, then they started building the ultimate monument, a great tower. And God looks down and goes, well, this isn't good, and uh, disperses them all and makes them speak different languages, and the tower is left unfinished, which Christians often interpret as God punishing or cursing the people for their arrogance. And so uh, this punishment in that interpretation is undone at Pentecost. However, just one slight point, we all still speak different languages after Pentecost. In fact, they all still speak the same language. And uh, the disciples, I'm pretty sure, stopped being able to speak all those languages after that day. Uh, so, in many ways, 
not a lot changed after Pentecost. But it did mean that all those people on that day heard the message in their own heart language, as some commentators say. But is Genesis 11 really about punishment? Or, as some commentators say, is it about God's desire for diversity, both within humanity and creation? Is it an affirmation of diversity, which Pentecost can be seen as? Or, is it a story about God seeing the end point of our humanity's arrogance, working to prevent the eventual destruction of this world that God had created for all to enjoy and thrive in? We look at the legacy of empires down the ages, especially the recent European empires and the American empire, and the work of multinational corporations at the moment, all of which are causing massive ecological damage in the name of short-term profit and leaving indigenous communities around the world landless and impoverished caring little for their legacy of biodiversity loss and climate change, maybe, maybe the writers of Genesis 11 knew more than us that when humanity can work together as one, the potential is for good, but also in our arrogance the potential is disastrous, both for humanity and this planet. Human self-importance is destroying our common home. And maybe the creation of many and diverse languages and cultures protects the world from our own hubris. I was kind of interested in what a Jewish understanding of the story was, and it is their story. And so I kind of hunted on the internet, a place of all good knowledge, and a whole lot of not good knowledge, uh, but I found um, a commentary by a respected Jewish rabbi, and um, he talked about the Genesis 11 story being about humanity increasingly moving from a place of intimacy with God in the Garden of Eden to a human-made environment where God is no longer heard and humanity's destiny is forgotten. creation of languages in this perspective offers protection then, but it also offers the possibility that some will remember human destiny. So does anyone remember what is the next story after the Tower of Babel in Genesis? Wind it back. Who's who's Lot turning into? Well, it's not Lot. It's Lot. But anyway, who's who's he with? Abram and Sarai. The very next story is Abram and Sarai, where God works to create within humanity, within one of those subgroups who speak their own language, are people who remember human destiny and can then work with God, sustaining this world. So that, for this Jewish rabbi anyway, from the uh, 
from the rabbinic teachings that he has read and learnt through his life is what Genesis 11 is about. It's not a curse and it's not a punishment. It acts kind of as a barrier to help protect the world and then make room for space for humanity or this one piece of humanity to remember our destiny as people made in the image of God. So when we come to the story of the coming of the Spirit and Acts, this isn't fixing Babel at all. It really is a story maybe uh, acting as an affirmation of the diversity created at Babel and using that diversity to become the vehicle through which the Spirit of God will work to bring God's peace and justice to the world. In the cacophony of voices, God's Spirit is heard at work, sowing seeds of humility and calling us to step into a new horizon. So that's one take on Pentecost. Today is also the church's birthday. Which we have to kind of put a question mark over. What do we mean by that? And sometimes what we mean by that was, wasn't that a great event that happened 2,000 years ago? It would have been great to be there, let's have a party, and then we kind of go on with life as normal. And if that's what we think the church's birthday is about, then it's not a great birthday, because that's not what Pentecost is about. The question we have to ask ourselves is, if this is the church's birthday, are your pancakes as good as these, Tyler? These cupcakes, do you think? Yeah. Excellent. Well, I look forward to them. Your pikelets. Uh, what kind of church are we celebrate? And actually, some of the commentaries I read uh, were pretty down on the church and uh, where the church has been in history and where the church in some places of the world is now and what it's talking about and what it's supporting. And is that the kind of church that Jesus was going about setting up? And the answer is, a lot of the time, no, we have forgotten who we are. So Pentecost offers us an opportunity as we celebrate our birthday to ask, what is this church whose birthday we are celebrating? And I want to go back to John's Gospel and the reading we heard today. So this reading we heard today is the first time in John's Gospel that Jesus talks about the paraclete, which we can translate in a whole lot of different ways, but in the translation I use today can be translated, it's translated as companion or advocate. John's Gospel is all about so God so loved the world. That's what Jesus is on about. Jesus is the way that God loves the world. It is a message of God loving this world and God's desire for this world and a reaffirmation of humanity's destiny to work with God to sustain this world. Jesus, the Word of God made incarnate, made human like us lives God's desires for humanity and this world and becomes the one through whom God so loves the world. And the passage we heard today is right at the start of the last talk with his disciples at their last meal. 
and it comes after he has washed their feet, where he has said that one of them will betray him, and then he sends Judas off into the night to do what he must do, and then he tells Peter that he will deny being one of his disciples three times, and then in this room full of tension and fear and uncertainty about the future, even hopelessness, like many feel today, to these desperate followers, Jesus offers the promise of another paraclete. So, who was the first paraclete? Jesus. Jesus is the first companion. Jesus is the first advocate. But he is leaving. So he says, I will send another to be in my place to carry on the work that I have been doing. And because it won't be just me, it will be all of you, it will be greater than what I have done. Which is a little mind-blowing given what he was doing. So kind of big shoes to fill, really. So Jesus will send another who will walk beside them and us to carry on the work of healing and sustaining human community and God's creation. And through the Spirit, the companion, the advocate, he promises the same intimacy with God the Father that he has lived in throughout his ministry in John's Gospel. The same intimacy that was lost by the time we get to Babel. Right going back to Genesis 1, going back to the garden, a promise that we go back there to the beginning. One of the commentaries I read by Barbara, well, the commentary was by Barbara Lundblad on working preachers says, the spirit of truth, the advocate, will come here. God's presence will be deeper than memory and closer than heaven. Jesus will forever be messed up with this body life, this earthiness, which tells us, which some tell us to discount, even disdain. But to celebrate the birthday of the church is to be reminded what the church is. So what is the church? It is a body of people in whom the spirit of truth has been breathed into. In John's Gospel, there's no dramatic tongues of fire 50 days after Easter. On Easter Day, the resurrected Jesus breathes the spirit into each of the disciples. So that Jesus, which to be fair, nowadays doesn't sound so good, these COVID things, we want Jesus to be wearing a mask really, wouldn't we? So that Jesus' presence will be deeper than memory and closer than heaven. And in this body, Jesus will be forever messed up with this world. The church is the body of people today in whom the Spirit is as it was for those first disciples living humanity's destiny so that we might continue to carry out God's work in the renewal of creation, restoration of humanity through lives shaped by the values that Jesus lived, embodying the values of hospitality, generosity, compassion, justice. What I might call resurrected lives. 
So sometimes at Pentecost, we're implying to celebrate what was accomplished at that first Pentecost. But instead, maybe we are invited to wonder what was set in motion at that first Pentecost and how we are part of that ongoing story. So it's a lot less about what happened on that first Pentecost and much more about what is happening now in our place. So I wonder, how have we experienced the work of the Spirit as individuals and as a parish over the last couple of years? How have we experienced that? How have we acted as companions to others and others to, our, to us over those last two years? And thinking about that, what does that set in motion among us? So I invite us to have a conversation about that. How have we experienced the work of the Spirit over the last two years? And what does that set in motion amongst us today? Have a conversation.